Guys, have you ever asked a woman when she's due and she wasn't? (laughs) Fortunately for me, it was uh, me asking her brother, not her, but it was still horrific and very scarring to do that. And, and since then, like a woman could be nine months pregnant, she, should, she could be in labor, and I'm not going to ask. So when do you do? I just won't, won't do that anymore. Um, John Mayer released a song back in 1999 called My Stupid Mouth. And the opening lyrics were, My stupid mouth has got me in trouble. I said too much again. That song has really resonated with me over the years, and I'm sure some of you can relate to it as well, because my stupid mouth has gotten me in in quite a bit of trouble over the years. So last week we started this series called Villains, and in the past we've studied some of the heroes of the Bible. So when you think about villains, you might think that we were going to do a series talking about people like Jezebel or Goliath or Haman, Uh, but instead we're not looking at some people that are villainous from Scripture we're looking at some things that, that Scripture describes like a villain. So last week, we looked at this villain inside of all of us called the heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so we talked about how the heart, our hearts, are master deceivers. Well, today we want to talk about another villain, and it's one that we face each and every day. And it's caused an enormous amount of destruction in our world, and that is the tongue. The tongue. I recently read that the average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. That's the average person, not the average politician, not even the average preacher. The average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. If all of our words were put into print in a year's time, the average person's words would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. We talk a lot. We talk a lot. In fact, the tongue is made up of eight muscles, and this may not surprise you, but these muscles never get tired. They never get worn out, and you thought it was just my tongue. It's everybody's tongue. They just don't get worn out. But just because we talk a lot, just because we use our tongue a whole lot, that's not what makes it a villain. Why would I say it's a villain? Well, let's look at the New Testament book of James. Uh, if you would, turn to James chapter 3. Uh, if, you've, if you've never read through James before, James is the brother of Jesus. And this book is one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. If you're looking for something that's just more straightforward and practical, like James is your go-to book. But here's how James begins his conversation about the tongue. Starting in James 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And then he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault is in what what they say, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And so James starts by talking to people who might be considering doing some teaching. And he's like, "Mm, you need to think that through. You need to pause and think about that. You really want to do that? Because you're going to be judged more strictly. And I'm sure you can all think back of teachers that you've had throughout your life and, and many good teachers, sometimes the occasional bad teacher. The good ones, though, they're, they're typically ones who really are more invested in your life. They don't just care that you learn to read and write, although they care about that, but they, they, they really care about you as a person. And they're the ones that seem to make more of a difference, don't they? 
But there's a certain amount of trust that we put into teachers, right? Like the elders at Gateway have put a significant amount of trust in me to teach God's word with, with diligence and accuracy. N.T. Wright says about this passage, he says, that no doubt is why James says that teachers will be judged with greater strictness. One hint in the wrong direction in someone else's life, perhaps a whole classroom of other lives, can be sent down a wrong path. And then he continues, how much more is this the case in the church? One sermon pushing a line, pouring scorn on a cherished doctrine, or advocating something that's not quite right, and a whole church full of people may be set off in the wrong direction. One word out of place in a pastoral conversation and the listener at a vulnerable and impressionable moment can be encouraged to make a false move. Now, obviously, this doesn't take away from personal responsibility, but James is saying, teachers, beware. That's his lesson here. Teachers, beware. In other words, words have power especially when they come from a teacher, especially when they come from someone who's respected. Words have power. My mom has a close friend, and when she was in fourth grade, she was in a music class, and the teacher told her, Janet, uh, you need to sing quieter. In fact, why don't you just mouth the words to the song? And from that moment on, those words stuck with her, and she has not sang ever since. That was 68 years ago. Words have power. And so James begins with this warning about how, how difficult it is to come up to the mark as a teacher. And then he expands on his point, basically saying, now gain control of your mouth. Gain control of your words. Gain control of your tongue. And you will be able to keep your whole body out of trouble. And then here's how he illustrates his point. Verse 3. He says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. So some of you, you've had some experience riding or maybe even showing horses. Uh, I reached out to the Lumadoos this week. Some of you know uh, Tom and Diane Lumadoo and their kids, Luke and Anna. Uh, Luke and Anna now are at, at the University of Kentucky. They're almost 21. But when Anna was younger, she used to show horses. And so here's a little picture of her. Uh, she was eight years old when she was showing this horse. The horse's name is Trouble, by the way. So Anna was about 50 pounds in this picture. And that horse is about 1,000 pounds. Yet this little girl was able to keep this massive animal under control. By the way, this next picture we have here, this is that same horse. This is Trouble. Uh, but the rider here is basically letting Trouble do whatever comes naturally to this horse by keeping the cow from, from getting back with the herd. Yet little Anna kept this wild animal in check. So James is saying, if you can get control of your mouth, if you can get control of the mouth of this animal, you can get control of the entire animal. And then he gives another example, verse 4. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So in the first century, other than buildings, a ship was one of the largest things that was built. And so this is a, a picture of an ancient merchant ship from the first century. It's not actually a picture. It's a drawing like they didn't pull out their phones back in that day and take a picture and post it to Instagram. So these, these ships were massive for that day, though. They could hold about 200 people. They carried tons of cargo. And they were driven by strong winds, which were highly unpredictable. Yet they were steered by very small rudder. This little bitty rudder is able to influence the entire 
direction of this massive ship. James's point? Small part, big influence, right? Small part, big influence. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it has a great big influence. So I asked for some help for this sermon uh, a couple weeks ago. I posted on my Facebook. I said, what are some examples of some things that are small, but they have a, a great impact? Small things, but they have a large influence. And so I'm not going to read all of these responses, but if you want, you can go on my Facebook and read some of the responses. They're, they're great responses. But here are some examples of a small part that has a big influence. One person said, Legos in the dark. <laughs> right? Step on one of those. There's a great influence there. Right? Uh, a splinter, someone said. A bullet. A kidney stone. Some of you have had those. You're like, yes, great influence there. I love this one. Someone said, the three-year-old dictator that lives in my house. <laughs> right? How can such a small person cause such chaos? A decimal point. Right? Hey, here's a million dollars. I'm sorry, I'm going to change that decimal. Here's a dollar. It's a big difference. A baby. Small, yet such a big influence. A small water leak can cause such damage. Termites. Someone said a 59-cent O-ring, and then they said this is what caused the multi-million dollar space shuttle Challenger to explode and seven priceless lives to be lost. Just a tiny O-ring. A punctuation mark, and then they gave this uh, picture as an example. Let's eat Grandma. Or, let's eat, Grandma. Big difference that one little comma makes, right? One is cannibalism. <laughs> the other is community. Let's eat. <laughs> uh, another one, and this is probably the most obvious for us today, a virus, right? Well, after giving these examples of, of small things that have large impacts, James turns then to the tongue. He says in verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Right, the tongue is small. It averages about three inches from the epiglottis, the, the, the flap of cartilage behind the tongue, to the tip. Three inches. Though it's small, though, it makes great boasts, makes great impact, has great influence. And then James gives one more example. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, I may... I know many of you may not remember this because it happened all the way at the end of 2019 and beginning of 2020. And there's been a whole lot that's happened since then. But from, from September uh, of 2019 through January of 2020, more than 27 million acres of Australia have been burned. It killed at least 29 people, destroyed some 2,500 homes. Now, some of these fires started by arson, some, some by accident, some by lightning strikes, but these small sparks set off a massive amount of damage. And James says, this is what the tongue is like. He says in verse 6 that the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is itself set on fire by hell. So what makes the tongue such a villain. Well, it's because the tongue has potential for endless evil. The tongue has potential for endless evil. And we know this, right? That there is, there's power in words. I know we all grew up hearing, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Or saying, I'm rubber and you're glue, and whatever you say bounces off me and it sticks to you. But from personal experience, 
we know the words hurt. The words break. They have broken us. We know that we're glue, that what someone says, it ends up sticking with us. This tongue of ours has the power to cause massive amounts of destruction. Here James says that the tongue is is a fire. It is a world of evil among parts of the body. Think about it. Every kind of evil can be initiated by the tongue. Divorce can be initiated by what you say. Murder has happened because of an argument over words. Wars have started over words. There are very few sins that people commit in which the tongue is not involved in some way. My dad used to tell me when I was growing up, he said, son, that mouth of yours is going to get you in a whole lot of trouble one of these days. And it's because I had a sharp tongue. I was real sarcastic and smart-mouthy with him. And it has. It's gotten me in a lot of trouble. I've had to apologize several times already this week, right? And I'm supposed to be preaching about this. I knew I was going to be preaching about this. And I, and I still messed up. The tongue has the potential for endless evil. Now, it also has the potential for endless good. It does. And I've tried to turn that around in my life and use my tongue for good, use my tongue for worship, use my tongue to preach the gospel, use my tongue to fight for what's right and stand up for people without a voice. But this mouth of mine has gotten me in a whole lot of trouble over the years. So though it has the potential for good, we're kind of looking at the villainous side of things today, right? And the tongue is a world of evil, James says. A world of evil among the parts of the body. And then James says that this tongue of ours has the power to corrupt the whole body. I mean, we all have stories of how our mouths didn't just get our mouths in trouble, right? It got our whole body in trouble. Parents, when your child gets mouthy with you, you don't put their mouth in timeout, right? You put the, the entire body in timeout. If you have a teenager who's talking back to you, you don't ground the mouth, you ground the entire teenager. It's not the mouth that loses phone privileges, it's the entire body, Right? No one has ever divorced a mouth, but they have divorced an entire person. You don't fire a mouth, you fire the entire person. A principal doesn't expel a mouth. That's not how it works, right? They they expel the entire student. Like, hey kid, you can come back to school, but your mouth can't. It It doesn't work like that. It affects the whole body. And that's the point that James is making, that the tongue has the potential to corrupt the whole body. And going back to the fire image, James says that the tongue has the potential to set the whole course of one's life on fire. As your words go, so goes your life. As your words go, so go your relationships. This villain inside of our mouth has the potential to burn down my life, to burn down my marriage, to burn down my relationship with my kids, to burn down my friendships, to burn down my job, to burn down my future with the words that my tongue speaks. I mean, be honest with yourself. We've all scorched the people that we love the most with our tongue. So finally, James traces the inflaming nature of the tongue back to its source. He says that this tongue is itself set on fire by hell. Now that word hell is actually the Greek word Gehenna, which is an actual place. It was an actual place outside of the city of Jerusalem. It's a place where they burned trash They would deposit the trash out there and they would burn it and it had this lingering, horrible stench to it. The continuing burning of this rubbish was a metaphor for a very real place of eternal punishment called hell. So James is speaking about our tongues and he's saying that our tongues 
spawned from, they originated from, they were sparked from a place of burning rubbish. And now you know why you have such bad breath in the morning, okay? But have you ever opened your mouth and you thought, why did I say that? Or you thought, where in the world did that come from? James is saying, there's a villain inside of you that's boiling up. And it has the potential for endless evil. And that flame is fanned by hell itself. But James isn't done. He turns back to the animal kingdom. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed. And they have been tamed by mankind. Now, when he says the word tamed, he, he, he means subdued. He doesn't mean domesticated, right? Like we don't have lions in our house. They're, we're not petting them and stuff. We haven't domesticated them. But his point is that the human race is not being threatened by the animal kingdom, is it? I mean, there was, you know, the murder hornet scare of, of earlier in the, in the year, but we come to expect that because it's 2020. But we've, we've subdued animals, right? We, we, we are able to tame the animals. But then he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James says that this tongue of ours is untamable. The tongue is untamable. The tongue has the potential for endless evil, and it's worse than that. We can't tame it. We can't domesticate it. It will always be unpredictable and uncontrollable under human efforts to tame it. He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Like the tongue could shum, could, should come with its own warning label. It is, it is poisonous. It is unstable. It is volatile. It is deadly. Think about it. Standing up here today with this microphone, I, I could say things and ruin my entire ministry with the words that I say. I could say things and next week the elders could be up here in front of you all and saying, you all remember Steve, right? <laughs> you were here last week when he said what he said. He had a good run. He's not going to be back. I could stand up here and I could ruin my career with my words. That's the power of the tongue. That's the unpredictable nature of the tongue. That's the poison that the tongue carries with it. And then James illustrates the volatile nature of our mouths. And some of us, you might have, you might have already done this today or you're going to do this today. This is what, what James is about to talk about, you, you might be doing or have already done. Some of you, you just did a few minutes ago. When I got up here, you leaned over to your spouse and you're like, it's summertime. Everyone's getting tanner and tanner and Steve seems to be getting whiter, right? <laughs> James says this, that with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. He's like, you come to church and you sing these incredible songs of worship to God, and then you walk out going, did you see what she was wearing? Can you believe the audacity that he had in coming into the building after what he's done? You praise God with your mouth, and then you talk about someone as if they're not even human. Our words bite. They're so critical. They're so vicious. And James says, verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
It makes no sense for someone to say that they love God with their mouth and then use that very same mouth to curse people who God says he loves and he says to love. And then he asks this question. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And everyone in James' day is going, no. He says, my brothers and sisters, can, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Again, everyone is going, no. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James is almost sarcastically saying, this tongue of ours is miraculous. It does what nothing in nature, or it does what nothing in nature can do. His point is, it is so unnatural what comes out of our mouth. Both praise and cursing. You can't have fresh water and salt water from the same source. How, how's this happening? There's something disturbingly wrong about our tongues. And it is further evidence that this tongue of ours, no human can tame it. And then you know what James says after this about the tongue? You know what he says? Nothing. Nothing. He's done. Like, no acrostic from the word tongue to teach us what we should do from here. Like, T, tame it. O, honesty. I know honesty doesn't start with O. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you guys could catch a spelling joke. No, he just, he just moves on to the next topic. He's done. And I was tempted to just end the message here and just walk off, right? Because that's what James kind of did. But I, but I saw, felt like I sort of did that last week when I was talking about the heart. I gave you a whole lot of bad news about the heart. And then I didn't give you a whole lot of application of what to do from here. So, so I'll try and wrap it up a little bit more neatly this week, sort of. But you need to understand that, that we're, we're never going to get there. We're never going to be there. We're not going to be where we need to be with our tongues. This will always be a struggle. I mean, let's face it. Some of you, you have been, you've been Christians for decades and you still are going, oh man, I can't believe I said that. Why did, why did I do that? I know I shouldn't say this. I know I should just shut up. <laughs> and yet, I did it again. We're not going to be there. So I, I can't just put a pretty little bow on this stuff. This villain will continue to attack. It will always be something that we have to watch ourselves with. We will continually have to guard our hearts because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We will continually have to watch our tongue. We will continually have to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. But I just, I, I want to give you two words today to help sort out how we can handle this villain just a little bit better. So the first word is this, remember. Remember. Remember that the tongue has incredible potential for evil. Remember the fires that you have started with your tongue. Remember that it is untamable in our own power. Remember how you have been hurt by words before. Remember how bad it hurt. Remember that you don't want to make someone else feel that way with your words. Remember that you are constantly living in this tension between the flesh and the spirit and you must guard your heart and guard your tongue. Remember that when you mess up, you've got to confess it. Don't excuse it. Don't rationalize it. Don't, don't use your tongue to excuse your tongue by saying, oh, I just get really sarcastic when I'm frustrated. Or I, I, just, I, get, I get really short and, and sharp-tongued when, when, I'm, when I'm tired. No. Confess it. Apologize for messing up. Repent of it. 
Remember to seek forgiveness. Remember the power of your tongue. You got to be aware of this villain that is inside of you. And the other word is to surrender. Surrender. The Apostle Paul would write in Romans 12:1 that we are to, uh, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we surrender our bodies, like every part of our body, even our tongue, we surrender it to God. This type of surrender is what Paul says is an act of worship. It's true and proper worship. A couple of months ago, my, my family, we were reading through the book of James together. And we would just take it a section at a time and discuss it at lunch or dinner or whatever. And as we were, got to this section, we were discussing it and talking about how the tongue is untamable. And it'll, you almost feel helpless, right? Because again, you know, I've been a Christian for a long, long time and I still feel like I, I mess this up a whole lot. And, and so again, the tongue is untamable. No human can tame it. It's so destructive. But then Sarah, my wife, she said something and I thought it was very insightful. It really stuck with me. I may not be able to tame the tongue by myself, but I have been given help. Like Jesus left us with this Holy Spirit to be our helper, to be our advocate. And when we are being led by the Holy Spirit, there's a certain fruit that is produced, right? Certain actions, certain characteristics that are on display in our lives when the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. When we're turning control over to the Holy Spirit. So in Galatians 5, we read of this fruit of the Spirit. Many of you have heard of it. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Most of us remember it as patience. They say forbearance here. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. And then he goes on and he says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the, their flesh with its passions and desires. So we've, we've crucified the flesh, including the heart, including the tongue. And we're no longer led by its passions and desires, but we are led by the Holy Spirit. So Sarah was talking with our girls about this passage, and then she, she started relating it to the, the fruit of the Spirit. And so she started going down this list of, of these fruits, the fruit of the Spirit, and asking my daughters some questions like look, taking a, a look at the first fruit, love. Do you think that love could impact the way we speak, would impact our words if we were more loving? You think that joy would change the way we talk? Man, could you imagine if, if you had joy in your life, how, how much more positive you'd be, how less critical you'd be, how less negative you'd be if there were joy coming out of you? Because it would come out of your mouths, right? What about peace? You think that would impact the way we use our words or the words that we type on social media? Couldn't we use a little bit more peace? So much conflict all over the place. How would peace change the way we speak? How would peace change the way we, we use social media? Because please let me relate the tongue to our social media as well, okay? To our typing. Our tongue and our typing. Maybe I should have said that, okay? It, it's coming out of the same source. What, what about forbearance or patience? If we were more patient with people, you think that would affect the way we talk to people? We wouldn't lose it so quickly? We wouldn't be so harsh with people, right? And it goes on. What about goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? How, how would this make our words more Christ-like? 
If that, that was evident, if that was welling up inside of us, if the Holy Spirit was leading our lives, that would change the way we talked, right? They'd be more Christ-like. How about self-control? Think that'd change our words? Wow. That seems to be my problem. I want to be quick to speak, slow to listen. And what if I had a little more self-control? I mean, how many times have I said, why did I say that, right? Why didn't I think before I spoke? Why didn't I wait to use those words and think them through a little bit better? But no, lack of self-control and I'm shooting out whatever comes to mind. Think self-control would change the way we talk? And so she went through each of these fruits that are talked about in Galatians 5 and related it to our tongues, how, how the Holy Spirit working in our lives will come out in our actions and in our words. And it stuck with me when she said that, 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 that yes, we, we can't tame our tongues by ourselves. But we aren't in this alone. We, have, we may have a deceitful heart, but we don't have to be led by our heart. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to change us. But have you let the Holy Spirit in? Have you allowed the Spirit to work? Or are you resisting? When you resist the work of the Holy Spirit, it's going to show in what you say and do. So, surrender. Surrender your body to God. Surrender yourself to the leading and working of the Holy Spirit. Surrender yourself to Christ and submit to him as Lord, as King, as ruler of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. That at your word, nothing became something. At your word, creation came into being. Your word is life to us. You've also created us with a tongue. And our words carry power as well. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us when we praise you with this tongue that you have given us. We lift your name high and then we turn around and use that very same tongue to tear others down. Forgive me when I preach your word and use my tongue to, to try and draw people to you and then use that very same tongue to push people away from you. God, forgive me when I am sarcastic and harsh with my words. Forgive me when I am quick to speak and slow to listen. Forgive me when I am harmful with my words. Forgive me that as a teacher, when I've said things that are opposed to your word, when I have led people in a direction that is not the right way, forgive me. Forgive me when I rip on others, when I gossip, when I spread rumors, when I lie when in an attempt to be funny, I'm coarse. This tongue of mine is a world of evil. God, you are in the, the business of redemption. And so I pray that you would redeem this tongue of mine, 
redeem our tongues so that what comes out of our mouths is praise and not cursing. What comes out of our mouths is encouragement, not discouragement. What comes out of our mouths is truth, not lies. What comes out of our mouth is honesty, not deceit. We all struggle. We all stumble. We all fall. But God, I thank thank you that you don't leave us helpless. That not only did Jesus come so that this stupid of mouth of mine, that I could be forgiven of the sins from my mouth and, and forgiven of all my sins, past, present, and future. Not only did Jesus conquer death resurrected and seated at the right hand of of yours but he also left us with a spirit to help us to advocate for us to lead us and guide us and so God I pray that we would be led by the spirit and not by the heart that we would be led by the spirit and not by the tongue and not by the mind not by our emotions Those are, those are great things that you have created for us, the heart, the mind, the tongue, the emotions. They, they, are, they are from you. It's part of being made in your image, but, but they have been tainted and corrupted by sin, but your spirit has not been. And so God, I pray that we would follow your spirit, that you would lead and guide us, that we would follow Jesus, be obedient to him. Thank you for your help. Thank you for for saving grace. We need it each and every day. And so, God, I pray that each and every day we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We offer our hands. We offer our feet. We offer our mind. We offer our hearts. We offer our tongue to you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. That you would accept this worship that we give to you the surrender that we give to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so over the past few weeks, we've been doing uh, response time a little bit differently, but I kind of want to get back to the old way. And so if you have a decision to make about about Jesus, about following him, uh, or maybe you just need some prayer today, I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this song, and I would love to talk with you. I would love to pray with you. I will wear my mask. Okay, so... so so it's not as uncomfortable. Or if you want to wait and talk to me after the service or one of our other ministers or, or, or elders or whatever, um, but don't keep holding back a decision. Don't keep waiting to make a decision for Christ. Don't keep waiting to repent. Don't keep holding back in, in your need for prayer. So if you have a decision, again, I'll be up here to your right. I will be around <laughs> to Uh, after the service or during the week if you need someone to talk to. Will you stand and sing?